The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Very clever. Very clever indeed. Decor has manipulated your family's holdings, devalued the lands you hold, and he is the principal creditor on Kozak's outstanding gambling debts. It's no accident your family's getting weaker and DeGore's family is getting stronger. He's been systematically attacking your family's assets for over five years now. You mean DeGore has been scheming and plotting like a... F like a Ferengi? There is no honor in what he has done. If he wanted to challenge my house, he should have made a declaration, met our forces in battle. And risk destroying the very thing he wanted most? Your lands and property. Can you prove any of this? You can show the council exactly what the Gore has done. It's all right there. All I have to do is talk them through it. Thank you, Quark. You may have saved my family. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, October 31st, 2013. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. And we'll be with you from now till noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to the show today, where 519-661-3600 is always the number you can reach us to join in on the show. It's also the number that you can call in to pledge your support to CHRW. And if the lines are busy, please be sure to call again, because this happens to be CHRW's uh, week of fundraising. CHRW's existed for an incredible 32 years, started as a broadcasting on closed circuit uh, in a few residences at Western. I remember those days back in the 80s. And on FM in 1981. And in that time, the station's become one of the best campus community radio stations in Canada, and I can speak from experience on that. CHRW has done this through the support of listeners like you, so help a good thing get better. Give us a call and pledge your support at 519-661-3600, and who better? to have in our studio to join us on a day when we will be talking about finances, money, and investment, and perhaps the trick-or-treat waiting for us in the economy, than none other than personal finance expert Ted Wernham. Welcome good. to the show, Ted. And I thank you for that. Good morning. Good morning. Now, you're the president of Wernham Wealth Management here in London since 2000. You've been a financial advisor with London Life previous to that, I understand, for over a quarter of a century. I hate using those words. but That's all right. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about the radio show back at uh, the early 80s. I was, uh, just to let you know, I was on campus when the UCC was being built. Oh. So I was here when they were laying the foundation, and I can tell you the building's not leaning. <laughs> it's it's structured well and it's going to continue and it's just been expanded recently yep. too sounds like the four Yorkshire no, Yorkshire <laughs> you, you, you graduated from the university here didn't you 74, 74. and uh, went directly into finance right out of uh, Western's uh, graduating class of 74 and 39 years later here we are and of course a lot of Londoners know you as the past chair of London Transit Commission yep. and a four term member of London City Council yep. now uh, you know most Londoners know you as a retirement counselor who gives advice on, on financial matters. And, um, but I've noticed 
in myself and one of the reasons I think you're here today is that unlike a lot of people who do what you do, you seem to also carry with you and bring to the public a bigger picture, a bigger view of, I guess, the bigger picture. That's kind of what we want to lead up to, to the end of the show today and beginning with, uh, with basically personal financing. And uh, I noticed you're called Wernham Wealth Management, mm-hmm. not money management. Right. Is, there, is, that, is that on purpose? Is there it's a on reason? on purpose. The, the, the big difference for people that are listening, and uh, they'll be able to appreciate this, is that for so many brokers and bankers, when you sit down and talk with them, they talk about product. They say, do you want the red jar, the blue jar, or the yellow jar? Mm-hmm. And you say, I'm not sure. And they'll say, well, let me tell you about the red jar. And then you say, well, that sounds good. And they say, okay, well, then sign here. We don't do that. We work on process. And wealth management is for us is a process where people take into account the streams of income that they're receiving and people that are listening are saying, yeah, I'd like to have a stream of income. That's, that's uh, probably what a lot of people are thinking. Right? Are they out of the picture no, of this? No, no they got to know this stuff okay. because there's no sense people starting out today making the mistakes that everybody makes. Better for them to learn from others who've made the mistakes and then can pass along the wisdom of the management process. And it's quite simple. doesn't need to be complicated, but it does need to be factual. And here's a way to sum it up. Today, people are drowning in information and starving for knowledge. That's an interesting juxtaposition. I think that's kind of a position in a lot of, lot of fields of thought, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and so what, what is the information they're drowning in and the knowledge that they're well, lacking? Well, what happens is this. Somebody will come in and sit down and say, look, I've got a hot stock tip I want to talk to you about. And what I do is I buy a little bit of all those hot stock tips. So I can tell you my rim shares are down 61% just like everybody else's, but I only have a few. I can tell you that Gold Core is down from the time we bought it by over 60%. I can tell you that Entertainment, not Entertainment, it's a stock called Entertainment, Mm -hmm. it's down by 90%. I can tell you I got a call from an individual saying, hey, this energy stock, I really think you should take a look at it. So I bought 10 shares. It's down 42%. So the reason why I take into account that starving for knowledge part, juxtaposition with drowning in information, is you can go on the internet and within seconds have millions and millions of bits of information well, sure, yeah. that don't make a bit of difference to you. Give, I'll give you a parallel, okay? Mm-hmm. Back in the day, lots of people changed the oil in their car. Anybody change the oil in their car now? Nobody Shouldn't changes we? the oil. <laughs> How do you and change your oil? <laughs> that's right. They pay somebody oh, I see. to change okay. oil in their car. Okay? And so what happens today for a lot of individuals is they say, hey, I'll take a run at that. Let me see what I can do about managing all these different streams of income or putting aside some money for finances in the future. And they end up having to deal with all the mistakes. For the people that are just starting out, I can tell you this. They shouldn't be saving money in RSPs at all. If they save money in the tax-free savings account maximum every year for the year that they're working, they'll be comfortably retired when they want to retire. So you're saying they shouldn't put money in RSPs? Nope. It's a great myth. There is a great myth about RSPs the government has perpetuated upon us, and they say, put away your money. 
allow it to grow with a tax deferral. They didn't say a tax avoidance. They didn't say a tax reduction. They said a tax right. deferral. And take a look at the people that when they started out were making, pick a number, let's say $30,000 a year. And they put away five or $6,000 in an RSP. And gosh, when they get to retirement, they're going to pay more tax on that money getting it out than they are putting it in and deferring the amount of growth. Plus this, and people don't know this, this is at the other end of the entire game. When you die, 46% of that RSP is taxed into the government hands. Interesting. So you're better off paying up front? Of course. <laughs> that's well, the starve. Be, now that's, yeah. that is the starving for knowledge part. How do we do it? Okay. So here's a hot tip. Don't buy an RRSP. Get well, a tax-free savings account. Now, a lot of us actually have to get into RSPs. They have pensions, for example, when they worked at a place, and then they leave the place that has to go into a registered uh, RSP that they can't touch. That goes into a locked-in retirement account. Here's starving for knowledge tip number two. As soon as you're within 10 years of your retirement, you can go into that locked-in retirement account and unlock it. You can take half of it out and transfer it to cash if you want. You'll have to pay tax on it, but that gives you total freedom on that. The remainder you take is form of income called a life income fund, and that's specified by the government. But it is a wonderful opportunity for individuals to take that locked-in retirement account and unlock it. Now, that just became effective this year. What age can they do that? within 10 years of their retirement age. So if normal retirement's 65, mm -hmm. as soon as you're 55, you can unlock it. Really? Isn't that a wonderful thing? You're a man of knowledge. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. And, and, and where does CPP fit into all of this? This is an important issue. You see, the move today by a whole bunch of populists is to expand the Canada Pension Plan so that their retirement will be satisfied and secure. Even the Ontario government's talking about not that gonna right now. Not going to happen. Not going to happen? You got to be really... <laughs> no, should, not going to and it shouldn't. Okay. You got to be really careful about the fact of the government that feeds the population placebos saying, hey, there's your RSP, there's your CPP, there's your old age security. The Canadian government developed the Canada Pension Plan in 19 middle 60s at a time when the life expectancy for the average Canadian was 69 years of age. And they said, we're going to give you a plan that's going to provide income for the rest of your life. Well, today people are living well past that age into their 80s and 90s. And so when the government says we're going to expand the program, watch out. It's another tax grab. And you know what the problem is today? People don't realize or appreciate this, but a lot of the money they're paying in municipal taxes is going to fund the pension plans of the people that are working for the municipality. So you have a pension plan, sir. You're paying for it. You're just not going to collect on it. Mm -hmm. Is that essentially what happened to Detroit? Well, I'll uh, give you a better and more appropriate example. Okay. Montreal has more police officers retired than they do working. How is that going to be paid out? When you take you a know, look... You know, people, uh, you know, as an as a average citizen, I think most people think, and perhaps rightly so, because they're not aware of what could be a fraud here, that... No, all that pension money is sitting somewhere safe, invested. It's all there waiting for them, and we are no longer being 
taxed for that after the person retires. Is that not the case? No, that's not the case. Take We're a still look putting money into their pension? Absolutely. Account? It's a tax-funded pension plan. So there's no actuarial requirement in these municipal or government programs, including the federal government, provincial government, municipal government, to have any kind of solvency as you would expect the corporate side of pensions are concerned. So, for example, right now, the Ontario Municipal Employee Retirement System is underfunded by about $9 billion, with a B, dollars. To make sure that the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan is fully funded, and that's to bring it right up to being able to find the money for all the future amounts, the program needs another $54 billion to be fully funded to pay all the promises that have been made. Now, I'm going to give you a quick history, if I might. Mm -hmm. In 2001, there is a surplus that was spent on plan improvements for the teachers, including pension guarantees, lowering the payments they had to make to CPP. And so that's a good thing. They had $76 million in a contingency fund. Four years later, there was a same amount in shortfall because of the people that were retired. Three years later, there was a double that shortfall, a $12.7 billion shortfall. And four years after that, there is a $17.2 billion shortfall, which is easy to understand. People are saying, all oh, these numbers are driving me nuts. More people are retired, collecting more money. Few people are working, paying less, greater shortfall. So now the actuarial shortfall last year was $5 billion, which means there's a problem. And the problem is that you're going to run out of money when you're too old to go back to work. Won't they just go to the government and take it from us, the, the taxpayer? The, the government will take it from the people who have money. They won't take it from the last survivors of what we used to call the middle class. Because the middle class essentially has been restricted now and is into the poverty level situation. When you take a look at how much money they're going to be able to require to retire, and for those that have got this transfer of wealth, wealthy parents... You know what they call people that are waiting for their parents to die? What? Waiters. Waiters. <laughs> okay. So there's a generation of waiters. Okay. So the government's saying, okay, who are we going to tax? So put it to the people this way. You're a politician. You're saying we're going to raise your taxes to pay for your grandparents. And your position is, no, you're not going to do that. So then they'll say, okay, what we have as our last resort is very simply the ability to tax estates. Now, there was a succession duty tax in Ontario in the 70s. That's going to come back. They're going to take 20, 30, 40 percent of your estate and redistribute the wealth if you're successful enough to do that. People say, I can't believe that's true. Then I talked to him about the estate administration tax, which was started in the province of Ontario January of this year. I say, what's that? And that's what it is. It's a tax on the estate. So we're actually getting down to not just taxing 
income anymore, but actual existing wealth yeah. just because it's sitting there. We're going to take your money, and you've done a good job. And, hey, there's precedent in that, you know, once again, for the people that are looking towards retirement income. Uh, there's a myth. The 65 and out is a myth. People want to work past that. People that are young and vibrant at 60 have no intention at 65, nor can they because they don't have the economic wherewithal to do it. They have no intention at 65 to stop. You know, two generations ago, the farmer didn't wake up when he was 65 and look at his cow and That's say, right. I'm not milking you anymore. <laughs> right? So what's happening here is very simple, and it's this. The old age security is being clawed back. As soon as you make more than $70,000 a year in your retirement, you're going to see your old age security being sent back to the government to be given to somebody who hasn't saved that kind of money. That was basically its function, though, wasn't it? Wasn't it set up sort of as a welfare system in a way? Well, there's a supplement called the Guaranteed Income Supplement, which indeed mm -hmm. recognizes by means testing where people should get the money. Old age security, universal. Largest single expense the government's going to have in the future is paying for people that aren't working. Now, that is a huge problem, not just with old age security, but universal programs in general, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Um, we should always have just been looking at only trying to help those who can't help themselves rather than helping everyone. Would so you agree? Then you've, of course, yeah. you've got the word entitlement. Mm -hmm. And the famous quote, I'm entitled to my entitlements. <laughs> That's got to stop. Are, are individuals, I, I guess from what you're saying, you're saying that individuals, even the whole middle class, as we used to define it, are, we're not better off today than we were 10 or 20 years no, ago. No, far worse. Far, far worse. We're in a generation now when we're talking with people that are starting out uh, and trying to save for their future of making sure that they put things into perspective. And that comes back to the management of wealth thing. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. We'll have to pick up more on this financial issue. We're going to take a quick break now, and when we return, talk a little bit about municipal politics Happy before we that. return to this horrible subject of finances. <laughs> Back right after this. So, as you can see from the gross adjusted assets tabulation in column J, the net value of the land acquisition was actually zero. Now, if you go to the file marked devaluation of capital income, we can review the way before... Do you want to hear anything more about finances, mergers, or currency transactions? Who am I? Yesterday I was Councilman Doug. I could park anywhere. I had cutsies in every line, the bank, the movie theater, hop fungs. They gave me the three-item combo for the price of two. I got to drive the fire truck. <laughs> Welcome back. CHRW covers the local music scene. Ours is the only radio station that regularly plays local, independent artists in all genres on all our programs. Donations of $20 or more qualify for a tax receipt. So call me at 519-661-3600. Ed will pick up the phone and take your pledge and your support to CHRW. And if the lines are busy, please call again. And we're here in studio with Ted Wernham of Wernham Wealth Management, Inc. Do you miss municipal politics, Ted? Oh, who says I've gone from that? <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, 
enlighten us, educate us instead of inform us. <laughs> One of the things uh, that I have always had the perspective on is, is that the politician that's closest to the way you live is the most important. And therefore, the municipal politician has the most influence and effectiveness in your way of life. And, you know, there's too much regulation and not enough common sense in any level of government today. And so we've really got to, as much as possible, get back to what's real. You know? Now, I, I always ask guests who have a municipal connection and background this question. Do you see the corporation of the City of London more as a business or as a government or some kind of hybrid of the two? And does that create problems that wouldn't exist at other levels? Um, it's a conflict that exists in any provision of service, whether it's hospitalization. Is that a business or is it the provision right. of service? Do we take care of the sick or do we make a profit? You know, those two things can easily work together. So the answer to your question is they are a hybrid and what happens is both, the best of both, should be utilized. No question about that. Interesting. So, um, would you support, for example, in, ter in terms of provision, you, you hear this debate over garbage collection and, and recycling and things like that. Um, that wouldn't preclude contracting out or privatizing some no, of those services in your mind. There's it? a requirement to provide services as a municipality mm -hmm. that's existed from the time that municipalities came together. Clean water, removal of waste, and protection. Okay? As in it, police and fire. You're, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the things. You, you've got to be able to have what the basic services are. And what's happened, unfortunately, is all these tag-ons and all these things that are out there that are going to benefit some and not the others. And that's where the problem comes in trying to take a look at this. So the, you use your contracting out con uh, concept for waste mm -hmm. or for recycling. Okay? If there's a way to provide the service for the benefit of the municipality more cheaply than the way the service is being provided today, why wouldn't you? It's interesting because I was entertaining this concept of the city not being the provider as much as the customer in Correct. a way. And if it, if it would position itself Correct. more like a customer, well thought through, it might do better decisions, wouldn't right. it? It, it? Well, th very, very appropriate concept to follow. Yeah, I just came up with that one last week, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, you must be aware of all the, um, what do you call it, just complete outrageous um, issues going on and, and uh, at all controversies levels. in yeah. government and everything from Bob Ford on down. Then we had our own Billy Gate and the ombudsman yeah. here. What's your take on that? I uh, personally, I think the whole thing was silly. But um, well, we've we, you see the two generations. Didn't you used to have lunch with with fellow councillors when when you were in council. General, the, here's let's do the overview. Mm -hmm. Two generations ago, the respected leaders of the community were the preacher and the teacher. Upside down today. Okay. So what's fallen from grace is the position of there is supposedly, and I believe this to be true, a principle or a dedication or a performance that you have in providing service to the community that should be considered at a standard higher than any other service performance. As such, therefore, it starts to become really disconcerting when somebody's starting to charge for 85 cents for a cup of coffee on the public dole. 
Okay, and when somebody's saying, "I'm going to suggest that my travel expenses, which are more to convenience me, are going to be paid for by the public," I can tell you that I am qualified to speak about this because for the time that I was on council, my expenses were the lowest or next to the lowest every single year reported. I can tell you that when I was elected in council at 1985, I held interviews with individuals and hired the secretary that worked for me for a long time while I was on council and paid for that person out of my own pocket. Why? Because I knew that the service that needed to be performed for the community I represented could more properly be provided by somebody who was doing work at a rate that I was paying and enabling me to make the money I needed to make for the benefit of my family and the work that I was doing. So fast forward now, a quarter century later, and we're mired more in the controversy of what's appropriate and proper. And if people would get back to fundamentals, it would be appropriate for them to do so. Now, let's deal specifically with Billy Gate. Okay. I said to the mayor, directly to his face, you should have invited him to your house. End of story. I don't think it's inappropriate for individuals to meet collectively. Neither I'd, do I. And, and, and yet, I would, have, I would have gone a step further than you. I said, go ahead and invite him to Billy Gate. Why? That's just for appearances' sake? Is that what you're trying to address there? Exactly <laughs> my point, okay? It has to appear to... And, and it must appear appropriate. And the other point is, is, is that this supposition that we hear from in the submissions that were made saying, well, we understand that this person said this, and we understand that this person said this, and we understand that when this call came in, these people reacted this way. Like, there is no due process in that. That was simply a report. There is no requirement to back it up with evidence or anything like that. And here's what we've got today. We've got politics by poll. That's what we've got today. Nobody has an opinion until uh, when, they... When was it never like that? Uh, it's never... It <laughs> ne I can tell you, and I say so respectfully, that there were individuals in the communities of generations past, I'm talking about my grandparents, that made decisions based on principle, not on poll. I'm saying that there's a lot of people today that have no position on an issue until they've heard the talk show. I understand that. Okay. Because, yeah, because they don't know what the two sides of something are. They don't even know there are two sides. Drowning sometimes. in information, right. starving for knowledge. That's the benefit. So uh, the, the bottom line to the piece is this. I have a lot of respect for the people that re represent us in government with the position that they hold. Unfortunately, from time to time, there are people in those positions that don't respect the position that they hold. Well, that's certainly, I guess that's something that you'd find all the time from time to time. Now, another big issue that's coming up, and it always is, certainly it's going to be a Toronto issue, and it's a London issue as well, and that is uh, public transit. Yes. And, of course, you know something about that, and there's a lot of talk about expanding the bus system. Yeah, let's get real about public uh, transit. Uh, um, t please, en enlighten us. Or <laughs> if I can get up in the morning in Westmount or in Byron, walk out, dust the snow off my car, have my car running for 15 minutes, which is totally unacceptable in this environment, hop in my car to a warm car and drive downtown to the city and work in downtown London faster than it takes me to walk up the street, freeze at the bus stop, wait for the bus, and whether it's early or late, get on the bus and go downtown, I'm driving my car every morning. 
So what's real about public transit is not this expansion. It's what's real is its convenience. Right now in the city of London, we're working on a grid system. Mm. Everything goes through the downtown. Question, why? Okay. I've always asked that question. It's, it's a, a mess downtown. Right. And when we had that bus strike, I loved it as a car driver. Things move so much faster, so much easier, with less accidents, less, less risk when there was no buses hogging up that right-hand lane. Is, is there no room for privatization of course. In, in, in the whole public, even with the taxi issue as well, come to think of it? You could toss well, here, that one in there. Here, here, here's the thing about it in, in the city of London. Let's talk about London compared to the larger municipalities in Canada. Uh, most people, when they ride the bus, apologize and say, look, my car isn't getting fixed, so i got to ride the bus. Now, in Toronto, that's not true. Okay? In Toronto, the economics of the fact are I can get an hour of work done sitting on the train going into the downtown and an hour of reading coming home so I'm relaxed rather than parked on the Don Valley. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, London doesn't work that way. So let's not try and copy a model that works in Toronto but doesn't work in London. And exactly what you're saying, take a look at how things can be effective. Here's the scoop. There's people in Western that got to get from point A to point B. I believe that service is contracted out. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't see anything wrong with it. <laughs> when the, like, I'll go back to the strike. When it was on strike, you know what people did? People managed. Yeah. People carpooled. I, I drove people, strangers, to, to school with my children. Absolutely. Yeah. So the issue here is let's not make the model fit something that's preconceived let's come in and take a look at that and i've got lots of ideas on that no question about it with respect uh as far as the grid system is concerned do away with that as far as the student system is concerned i don't believe it's appropriate to leave students standing at a bus stop just because they're courteous enough to let some other people on first is there a a need for the city even if it is providing public transit to make it a monopoly or not allow competition is that well it's under the act you see this is the default for all the politicians is this one is it going to affect me while i'm in my term of office and unfortunately there's such a myoptic view of politics today that people are saying hey listen if they're not, if i'm doing something that's not going to affect me in my term of office thank you very much i'm not going to take the long view because i want to get reelected so i'm curtailed in my position that's number one and number two the fallback is well it's in the legislation well it's easy to change legislation if there is the heart and mind so to do so the municipal act and all of the people that you're talking to that say oh well you know we can't have competition here because this is a protected service under the act we'll change the act Exactly. That was always my thought on that. You know, one of the <laughs> strangest things I find in, in municipal politics is things like garbage collection. If I, I'm actually forbidden to pay somebody to pick up my garbage at the curb, that to me is just like, that's Looney Tunes. Why can't I, as a private individual, go around and say, contract with people, hey, I'll pick up your garbage. How about back. if you contract with them to pick your garbage up every Wednesday morning? There you go. Because the big bugaboo, and it's something that the current mayor did bring in when he was on council, is this rotating calendar, which creates more problems than anything else, you know? And and once again, you can remember when CHRW went on the air. I can remember when the sanitation engineers actually walked up the driveway into the garage, got the garbage pails, walked back, put them in the truck 
brought the garbage pails back and put them back in the garage. Isn't that amazing? That's I, fantastic. I, I, just told the, I just told the same story <laughs> on another station just the other day. And speaking of radio stations, maintaining a radio station is an expensive undertaking, and CHRW here maintains a 24-hour-a-day operation for about $350,000 a year. Did you know that, Robert? That's not we're a just, lot of money. No, and we're just... They're doing one, really well. And we're just one of those hours of all that mm-hmm. 24-7. And that may seem like a lot but many commercial radio stations spend more money on one of their big morning shows than we spend to bring you about 8,760 hours of programming a year. So call us at 519-661-3600. Pledge your support to this show, and if the lines are busy, do please call again. Going to take a quick break for the bottom of the hour, and when we return, we're going to talk about the bigger picture south of the border and on the federal level. Back after this. Ah, William, my boy, right on time. Come in, come in. Sit down. No thanks, guys. I already had breakfast this morning. This is not a meal, Valentine. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. We are commodities brokers, William. Now, what are commodities? Commodities are agricultural products, like coffee that you had for breakfast, wheat, which is used to make bread, pork bellies, which is used to make bacon, which you might find in a bacon and lettuce and tomato sandwich. And then there are other commodities, like frozen orange juice and gold. Though, of course, gold doesn't grow on trees like oranges. Uh, Clear so far? Yeah. Good, William. Now, uh, some of our clients are speculating that the price of gold will rise in the future, and we have other clients who are speculating that the price of gold is going to fall. Uh, They place their orders with us, and we buy or sell their gold for them. Tell them the good part. (laughs) Uh, The good part, William, is that uh, no matter whether our clients make money or lose money, Duke and Duke get the commissions. Well, what do you think, Valentine? Well, it sounds to me like you guys are a couple of bookies. <laughs> I told you he'd understand. It all starts when some politician says, vote for me and I'll make sure the government provides you more free stuff than my opponent will. But there's no such thing as a free lunch. So to provide that supposedly free stuff, the politicians vote for the country to spend more than its income. This is called deficit spending. To pay for that deficit spending, the Treasury borrows currency by issuing a bond. So what's a bond? If you think about it, a bond is really nothing but a glorified IOU. It's a pretty piece of paper with numbers printed on it that says, loan me a trillion dollars today and I promise over a 10-year period I'm going to pay you back that trillion dollars plus interest. But what you need to understand is that Treasury bonds are our national debt. These glorified IOUs are to be paid back by you and I and our descendants through future taxation. Therefore, when the government issues a bond, it steals prosperity out of the future so that it can spend it today.
bond is the root word of bondage. Whenever a government issues a bond, it is a promise to make us pay tax in the future. Nobody asked you if you wanted to pay tax today for the prosperity we all enjoyed in the last century. Nobody is asking our children if they want to work hard in the future to pay for the prosperity we're enjoying now. George Washington once wrote to James Madison, no generation has the right to contract debts greater than can be paid off during the course of its own existence. By stealing prosperity from tomorrow so we can spend it today, we enslave ourselves and future generations. You are tuned to listener-supported community radio, CHRW. That means we rely on each of you to provide us with the means to keep this radio station going. We depend on our listeners so we don't have to rely on a lot of advertising. If you support what this radio station does in the community, then show it by giving us a call. You can get more inform, uh, information about our funding drive at chwradio.ca forward slash F drive. And so call me or Ed at 519-661-3600 and pledge your support to CHRW. And if the lines are busy, please call again. And we're in studio today, Bob and I, with Ted Wernham of Wernham Wealth Management, Inc. And Ted, what did you think of that particular clip that was by Michael Maloney? And we found it on YouTube, and it was a really well... Uh, a graphical representation of um, a broad overview of money. Well, that's the that's concept, again, of knowledge. Okay? That's something that's really important for people to pay attention to because, once again, you only think about taxes once a year. And that's when you have to remit or file taxes. But in the broad scope of things, we've got to take a look at what it's costing to provide the services that we enjoy today. There's a quote that says, once the society finds out that they can vote themselves benefits, democracy's done. And so what we've got to be careful about is to understand the deficits that exist. The problem is people can't wrap their heads around what a trillion dollars is, let alone to try and wrap your head around what a billion dollars is. So in the United States, the quantitative easing program there, and people say, what's that, is a program where the government, the Treasury, is printing $85 billion on a monthly basis that's enabling people who have money to make a lot of money and putting a tremendous amount of debt on the backs of every single taxpayer that's ever going to live from now till generations from now. What I find... Um hard to get my head around, not just a trillion dollars, but is um, people describe this debt Ponzi scheme, if you will, um, by saying that they're robbing from future wealth. But my understanding of uh, money matters is that the equation must balance itself out today. The future doesn't exist. So where, if I, if I, if I gave you an IOU, the equivalent would be the government bond, and I never paid you, who's the poorer for that? You are. Absolutely. Exactly. So, I mean, you're relying on that IOU, and you take it to your bank and say, look, I have this asset, it's an IOU, and Robert's going to pay me in the future. But Robert really doesn't want to pay you at all. Or maybe he'll pay you 50 cents on that in the future. So the, the equation is going to be balanced on fraud. And is that what we're, we're dealing with today? Is just like a complete 
fraudulent system. Well, the question, I'm not going to use the word fraud in the sense of describing the system. I'm going to use this as a basis, and it's this. The way that I look at it is, when you borrow money, you eventually have to pay it back with interest. That's and, the concept. But there are deadbeats out there. Oh! Then we can go from there, but well, that that all takes in. That's why the risk factor is there in interest rates, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. that, and and that's that's it. So, for example, you'll hear uh, about this product out there that say says eight uh, percent interest, and we'll put it in writing. Okay, um, when interest rates today are one or one and a quarter or whatever it is, it's a very attractive type of investment because people say, wow, that's a lot more than I could make anywhere else. But there's a lot of fine print to work through on that that you've got to be aware of. And it's the same old story, buyer beware. So wh what do you think about people that bought a technology stock at $210 that today is 16 What happened? Okay. Well, there is a series of elements and situations that came together that decreased that value. Who's the poorer for that? Well, the company that received the money at $200 has used that already, and the person that's got the stock at 16 is licking their wounds. So we've got an issue here that really needs to be addressed. And what needs to be addressed is you, you just can't run your household the way the government's running theirs. You just can't do that. You know, um, send your child to university, give them a credit card with a $30,000 limit so they can buy the nicest clothes and have the nicest sound systems and the most up-to-date air iPad with driving a nice car. And what happens when the credit limit is met? So should the government have any, is there any situation where the government should be issuing bonds or going into debt? The, of course. And that's been done at a time in the past for the funding of significant projects. Like war. No question about it. Or the Hoover Dam. Or anything that in the States was used to purchase the skills and materials to create a benefit for the future. Income tax has only been in existence for 100 years. Mm -hmm. This, this is year, as a yeah, matter of fact. This yeah. is the 100th anniversary of income tax. Mm -hmm. What it started out to be and what it's become, unfortunately, are a lot different. But you could say that about marriage, too. They say that mm -hmm. uh, there's, a, there's a coincidence that the income tax came in at the same year that the Federal Reserve was... Uh, created in the United States. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. No. I think they're hand in glove. And, and the problem that we've got for people that are interested in this is we've got to be very concerned as to whether or not the U.S. dollar remains the world's reserve currency. Uh, old people like me can remember when it was the pound sterling. And when the pound sterling changed to the U.S. dollar, there was an inflationary impact in Britain for years that was significant, double digits. And uh, we've got to be careful. And, and again, people are saying, should I buy U.S. dollars right now? Well, you've got to be thinking about what that dollar is going to be worth three, four, five years from now. Why? Not only that, how many more of them will be in circulation then, too? Correct. <laughs> and, and why do they need to be concerned? Because the politicians of the day, for the most part, are making decisions that are contained within their term of office. And that's it. That's it. Well, that makes their job very easy. Well, unfortunately, it yeah. does make it very easy. But there's no leadership in that. There's no mm -hmm. accountability in that. And that's not what we've elected. We've elected people to have foresight, 
thoughtful deliberations on what needs to... Can I give you an example? Well, those are people I call statesmen, not yeah, politicians. And, and, and well said. <laughs> Let me give you a, the best example that everybody can relate to. Springbank Park is over 100 years old. A hundred years ago, for somebody to have said, this 500 acres one day will become the pristine gem of our community, and we're going to create that as such, was way out in left field. As a matter of fact, he was back in the back 40, because at that time, the city didn't even extend that way. Mm -hmm. Same with Victoria Park. True, it started out as a garrison, but what a magnificent foresight that exists for individuals that have benefited and will continue to benefit that way. Interesting. Now, this term that we hear, quantitative easing, is that any different from monetizing the U.S. debt by printing more money? Or is that another way of saying the same thing? Yeah, Are those two different things? No. No, it's essentially exactly the same thing. Stimulus spending. And, and, and it's put in place by a government. You see, the, the loophole in the U.S. Treasury is very simple. At any time, they can create a coin... That's the equivalent of the total deficit and deposit with the government and say, we've now balanced our books. They could, in fact, come in with a $50 trillion gold coin and say, there, we've just balanced the books. And it's perfectly legal to do that. So the problem is the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The question is this. When you are needing care, health-wise, economically, and with respect to where you're living, in your older age, who's going to care for you? Because the population at that time that's being taxed will not agree, and we see signs of it already. There are people who have retired from major corporations that used to have a provision in their coverage that said, when you go to a nursing home, the corporation's going to pay for your care doesn't exist anymore. It's been taken out. It's been negotiated back. It used to be in a lot of corporations that there was an inflationary increase in a pension plan. doesn't exist anymore. It's been taken out. It's been clawed back. Why? Because the people that are making those decisions are not receiving those benefits. And the people that are receiving those benefits that want to benefit from those don't have the voice they used to because they're no longer with the corporation. The ultimate satisfaction of that requirement is to take uh, the business of defined contribution plans and totally replace the defined benefit plan out there. Defined benefit says you get two grand a month. Defined contribution says here's your wheelbarrow full of money. Good luck. Totally remove the obligation to you in your future whatsoever. Interesting. Heading into the final quarter of our hour, we just want to remind our listeners to call 519-661-3600 to pledge their support to CHRW, and if the lines are busy, please call again. The station is well-equipped, but we do rely on money from listeners for our day-to-day -day operation. And that's what helps maintain our independence, kind of, to do shows like you and I do here, Robert. Mm -hmm. And it also allows us to be innovative and daring by playing those incredible clips we play, right? We don't have to rely as much on c commercial sponsors, and that is an issue in radio. We will be back to conclude our conversation with in-studio guest Ted Wernham right after this. It's hit rock bottom. Come on, let's buy. Mortimer Duke here. Buy 200 Maybelly contracts at 66.8. Put it on my personal account. It's a big mistake, man. Valentine, something very important is going on here. Just watch. All right, but y'all gonna get reamed on this one. 
Well, why shouldn't we buy now, William? Price is going to keep going down. Randolph, this isn't Monopoly money we're playing with. This is Randolph, Duke. Hold that belly order a moment. Tell me just why you think the price of pork bellies is going down, William. It's Christmas time. Everybody's uptight. Could we please buy now, Randolph? All right, but if you want to lose money, go ahead. What are you trying to say, William? Okay, pork belly prices have been dropping all morning, which means everybody's sitting in their office and they're waiting for them to hit rock bottom so they can buy cheap and go long. So the people that own the pork belly contracts, they're thinking, hey, we're losing all our damn money, and Christmas is around the corner, and I ain't gonna have no money to buy my son the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip, okay? And my wife ain't gonna make love to me because I ain't got no money, right? So they're sitting there and they panicking, and they're screaming, sell, sell! Because they don't want to lose all their money, right? They out there panicking right now. I can feel it. They out there. They panicking. Look at them. He's right, Mortimer. My God, look at it. i wait till you get to about 64, then I'd buy. You'd have cleared out all the suckers by then. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? Money isn't everything, Randolph. Advise our clients interested in bellies to buy at 64. Mr. Valentine has set the price. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. No prison. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Yeah, we gotta kill them! <laughs> we need your donation, whether it's $10, $20, or $50, or more. It's all needed right now. You may think that it's not a lot of money, but once we add it all together, it will be enough. So help us reach our goal. You can get more info about our funding drive at chrwradio.ca forward slash F drive. So call Ed at 519-661-3600 and pledge your support to CHRW. And if the lines are busy, please call again. And that little clip was one from one of my favorite movies, Trading Places, with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd. And, and you know where I they wish were? I you had just told then? me about that. I ended up wa watching half of that <laughs> I again. <laughs> I, you know that where they were in New York, that was the Commodities Exchange, and I actually visited there when, uh, back in 86 or 7 or so, and that place... That, to me, looked like a lot of fun to be on that floor at really? that time. Yeah, it really did, because it was just like in the movie. They were just nuts. Now, it's all different these days. I think it's all a lot of computerized. Fun. It looked like a lot of fun to be on that floor, just like it looks like a lot of fun to be an MMA octagon, <laughs> right? <laughs> it looks like a lot of fun till you're in there. Yeah, I guess yeah. so, yeah. There's a lot of stress Everybody with there. their ulcers. And, <laughs> and, and, and Actually, they were wearing Hawaiian and shirts, yeah. and they were having a lot of fun, it looked like. Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, it's interesting, because that's the movie the Hollywood concept of what it's all about. Today, it's uh, trades are done in microseconds. Mm -hmm. And the flash crash that happened three years ago where the market dropped a thousand points in one afternoon was because of a errant computer program. As a matter of fact, there's a, a controversy out now just a few days ago where they were tracking um, 
the um, release of information, I think it was from the federal government, and finding out that somebody was having an edge of something like a millionth of a second. And that gave them a technical edge, and they could make millions yep. with that millionth of a second. Yep knowing the information first. And uh, just to give you an example, I mean, I'm a lame person when it comes to this, but I trade, um, I buy and sell stocks as well. Last night I bought some stocks. Soon as I hit that enter button, the order was filled. Right. It's like that. It's no longer somebody gets on a phone and collects orders and puts it on a piece of paper and puts up their hands saying, I'll take this. And yeah, not only was your order filled, the commission was paid. <laughs> yes, the commission was paid too. Yeah. So there's the positives that can come out of our discussion is mm -hmm. to be able to recognize that retirement planning or finance for itself is not a do-it-yourself project. The acumen that you've got is wonderful because you're able to make strides with your picks the growth that those stocks are, the dividend income, and all the things that go with it to make sure that you're accumulating enough money to be able to live on for the rest of your life. We work with the process. What we do is we say to people, we're going to tell you, one, how much income you're going to have every year, two, whether or not that income is going to last for as long as you do, and three, what the value of your state's going to be. And people are amazed at both of the issues. One, how much income they're going to retire on. And two, what their estate is. That's both an amazing thing to them. When we tell the individual, then they can work on whether or not it's going to last for the rest of their life because they don't have concepts. And here's the example. Ask the question, do you think you're going to live to age 85? One would hope. The fact is, everyone we, would like to say yes. We ask that question of every individual that My we come in contact. My mom has made that age already. Absolutely, mm -hmm. we have a. When we ask that question, the response that we get is people say, "Of all the planners we've talked to, nobody's ever asked us that." Okay, and it's a fundamental concern because today the. No, no you once said yeah. an amazing thing. How many people are there that are actually hit a hundred or better? Isn't isn't that a There's, large number? The, well, I'll, I'll capitalize it. There are more human beings alive today over the age of 65 than there has ever been in total in the history of mankind over age 65. Wow. So the issue here is this. The issue here is people are saying, I think that if I retire at 65, then I'll have enough money to live on for the rest of our life. That could be 35 years. Somebody who's 65 mm. is probably today going to be retired longer than the number of years that they worked. Then is retirement even at that age, is that even rational anymore? Uh, uh, other than for health reasons? That's why people come to see us and that's the positive message that we can live. So many people are caught up with what they think is real or necessary in society because they do politics by poll and they do lifestyle by poll. And it says, just like we heard in the clip, okay, they say, listen, I want what you got and I'm not sure how you got it, but I want it. Okay? So what we do is we talk about what's real, and the benefit to that is it helps people understand. The gentleman we talked to who's still working after age 65 doesn't need to take his old age security pension, and by deferring it, it's going to increase 7.2% this year. Where can you go to negotiate an increase in your income of 7.2% this year? He's so thrilled. The amount of tax that he's saving with us by coming in just to sit down and having a cup of coffee with us is over $18,000. That's just to sit down. So the positive is to, for us to share knowledge. Now, would it be possible 
to categorize people today as as wanting too much because they see their grandparents and they see their parents working till 65 or even older like you said the farmer i think you heard played right. on another radio station the farmer retired when he fell off his horse right. or he fell off his tractor and died in the field right so people don't want to do that people want to retire you see the commercials freedom 55 it's a myth is that an unrealistic expectation absolutely there is a widening gap between people who are working for the public sector who are retiring earlier now it's 53 and the people that have no pension to retire on now it's 68 so that's a widening gap but mm -hmm. the fact remains is this you'll always want to be in a position of working because you want to not because you have to and that's the position to take in retirement because there are large percentage of there, individuals there are a lot of people in life who are never at that position at any point in and life they don't want to work and that's their fault yeah. Okay, that's their fault. They've got to be able to be in a position where they're doing what they want to do and whatever that compensation is, that's what it should be. And that's where the gap of this is what I deserve based on the fact that I've got a credit card that says I can get the big screen and I can go to Vegas and I can have a nice Christmas and the car I got is the one that I want right now, right away. So do you ask your clients what kind of retirement picture are you looking at? In other words, are you a world traveler? Do you want to do that in the future? Or Absolutely. We even it, ask them this question. Here's another example. We say, are you going to be living in retirement where you're living now? That's a big, big, big decision. And there's a number of people who say, nobody's ever asked me that before. Okay? We ask this question. Are you going to be taking care of anybody who's elderly than you? In-laws, parents. A lot of people don't think of that. No. Some people don't know for sure. Like, I mean, maybe they're thinking, I don't plan to, but I might end up doing that. And the lady in our office yesterday is moving in with her granddaughter. Okay? Yeah, there's an excerpt today in the National Post from uh, astronaut Chris Hatfield in his book. And he commented on something. He said, the power of negative thinking. Because he got to where he is because he always planned for what could go wrong. Always plan for what can go wrong so that when it does, and it often does, he's been there and he's planned for it. And so that's an attitude that you should take in retirement, too. I mean, you're, but then you're, again, you your may, parents you are going to live up forever. planning for negatives that never happen and, and waste resources. Well, Hadfield actually goes back to Carnegie because Dale Carnegie said, anticipate the worst thing that could happen, decide whether you can accept that, and then move on. So his is a refinement of what you're saying. Nobody wants to be negative. All they want to know is they can handle the negative. Mm -hmm. And once they can handle the negative, it's not a problem. How's that for Phyllis? CHRW uh, philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness, this is profound. Amazing. In the last minute or so we've got, do you see, is it a positive or a, or a negative general outlook, either on the collective or individual level? Is, are very positive. Very positive. My goodness, people have got to stop and think in the world today what they wake up to. And there should be more people that wake up and say, good morning, God, than say, Good God morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wonderful that. ender. And with that, I think we're going to have to uh, close it off for another week. Remember, call 519-661-3600 to make your pledge to CHRW. And for now, join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, and think right and be right back here. We'll see you. Color into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright
They're probably not interested or uh, 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 don't believe your deductions. What they're looking for is, is items that you didn't put down on the form, mainly unreported income. What do you mean, unreported income? I only work for the bus company. I don't have any other jobs. Well, uh, a little other things that you forget to put down, you know, like, uh, uh, you got a tax book here? Here, this thing. Examples of income that must be reported. Uh, salaries. Well, we know that's okay. Uh, did you have any income from annuities, rents, mortgages, or chattels? <laughs> chattels? What's a chattel? I don't know. I guess it means did you make any money selling livestock? 